Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Pilar Carvajal, founder and CEO of Innovation Senior Living. The Winter Park, Florida-based senior living company will soon have seven senior living communities in its portfolio. Innovation has made catering to the adult day market a specialty, and the company incorporates those programs into each of its communities. Carvajal sees adult day services as a natural fit alongside the assisted living services that the company already provides, and she sees adult daycare as a big opportunity for the rest of the industry. Adult daycare, I think, is just going to be a natural option, just like assisted living can be, just like respite can be. I think eventually it will become more part of what we do, especially as we look to serve that middle income senior. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge excellence and design in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. And now, here's my interview with Pilar Carvajal, CEO and founder of Innovation Senior Living. Pilar Carvajal, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start with just sort of getting the state of play. Update us on where Innovation Senior Living is these days with regard to its COVID recovery? And also, you know, how are things like occupancy and move-ins trending these days? Thank you, Tim, for the invitation to be on your podcast. So as you know, I started my career on uh, the affordable side. So a lot of expertise on, you know, serving low-income seniors. And we have uh, moved into serving more middle-income seniors now as part of our strategy today and moving forward. I think in terms of COVID and our recovery, like everybody, it was a very, very difficult two years. I think today we are battle tested as an industry and uh, we are definitely on a recovery. So because we serve low income, middle income seniors, our recovery has been accelerated because our population is very large, very much in need. And so we, I think, have seen a recovery much quicker possibly than, than others in our industry. But we're faring well, and we're actually acquiring two properties very soon. Uh, so we're excited about that. That's great. And I, th- I think if I'm doing my math right, those two properties, those will put you at seven communities once you have That's acquired right. those, right? Correct. That's right. Well, I will, I will ask you a little bit about growth here in, in a moment. Something else I'd also know that you specialize in, other than the middle market, was adult day. I know that we've talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had a conversation last year where you sort of shared with me how much harder adult day has gotten during this pandemic. And I'm assuming that's related just to the fact that it's it's gotten a lot harder to get people together in one place. You know, now that, that we're in this recovery period, it's 2022, has any of that gotten easier? And I guess just, you know, sort of tell me what, what is the state of, of adult day at Innovation Senior Living these days? Well, adult daycare was always part of our programming. What happened with COVID is that we had to shut down our adult daycare programs. Uh, So we weren't able to bring residents in and out because of the threat of bringing COVID in and out. So now we're actually starting up our adult daycare programs. Uh, What we essentially do is we incorporate them as part of the programming of any property that we own or operate. And so right now we're starting small. We see it really as a feeder system to our assisted livings. We see them as wonderful ways to offer an affordable option to middle market seniors. And we see it as a great way to build some trust before someone commits to living with us permanently. 
Yeah, I've heard some operators, and I think maybe actually you and I have talked about this, although correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard some operators use Adult Day sort of as a, you know, hey, come try us out, we'll give you a day or two for free, you know, bring mom or dad in. That seems like a good idea. I still don't often hear senior living operators talk much about Adult Day as a Mm -hmm. big part of their plans. It sounds like you might think that the industry is missing an opportunity there. So I guess, how, how do you see Adult Day fitting into kind of the wider senior living care continuum? And how do you see the adult daycare market segment, you know, evolving in the years ahead? So for us, because of serving that lower income senior, the adult daycare was always covered by Medicaid. And so it was just a natural opportunity for us to really take advantage of what we were already offering in terms of our affordable assisted living and then tacking on that adult daycare that in essence, is free for that individual. So for us, it was always part of our programming, and maybe that's just why it's part of our programming going forward. And that makes it very easy for someone to commit to that if you have Medicaid funding. So what the transition for us is going to be is not only including adult daycare for low-income seniors, but also for that middle market that's going to actually have to pay for it. So we want to look for a price point that makes sense and able to sell it to that individual as something that is for them. I think as an industry, a lot of middle-income seniors just don't see their place in senior living. And so as an industry, I think that's something that we need to work on by offering more middle-income opportunities to them. And adult daycare, I think, is just going to be a natural option, just like assisted living can be, just like respite can be. I think eventually uh, it will become more part of what we do, especially as we look to serve that middle-income senior. Something that had occurred to me while you were talking was, where do you do this in your community? Is this space that you normally might otherwise use for your you know, assisted living services, or is this in a dedicated space where you're only doing you know, adult day services? So it starts as just the, the participants of the adult daycare are part of what we're typically offering. And then as we see a demand for that program, we license it, we formalize it. And part of the formalization is finding a place for it within our properties. So it really is, uh, it really depends on the markets that we're in, in terms of how small or how large they become, whether they are unlicensed or licensed. Uh, so we just go with the flow until we, we figure out what the right type of uh, combination is for that adult daycare and that assisted living. You know, again, another another question as you were talking, I've seen some senior living operators go into things like home care or home health care for similar kinds of reasons. Do you ever see that fitting into your plans? Or I guess, how, how do you see those two things sort of standing apart from one another? Because they do, they do seem to fill sort of a similar need in the market. Indeed. And it is something that's definitely on our radar screen, especially as we look to incorporate independent living into our portfolio. So we have done a lot of independent living in our in our past. We start as independent living and then convert parts of those buildings into assisted living. And the beauty of the independent living option is that you're really operating a building that needs probably maintenance and you can use home health to bring in the services. So I like to speak about our model of independent living as a service enriched housing option. So it is housing first and then your services come through potentially a home health company or bringing in physicians that are regularly there. But that is certainly something that we're going to be looking to develop more robustly in uh, in the very near future. 
This is a good segue. I think I think this is the same thing, although tell me if this is different. You had mentioned that you have a new brand that you're working on, uh, the Club at Line yeah. of Communities. I know that's another middle market concept. Is that what you were talking about with the independent living or is that something different? We will have as part of the Club at brand, we will have independent living. We are still focused on at least for the next two properties that we're acquiring, they will be assisted living um, and they will be catering uh, catered to that low-income senior, like I like to say, working-class, middle-class individual. What we are going to not do is move into memory care. So we're really going to look to stay from assisted living to the left. So independent living, adult daycare, respite, and assisted living, because what we have found is, unfortunately, the memory care is just too costly to operate. And so we're going to potentially keep it out of our portfolio for now. Yeah, that does seem like the toughest kind of nut to crack in terms of the middle market, just given the staffing ratios you have to have and the amount of attention people need. So that all makes sense to me. You know, just generally, it seems to me like adult day could be one of the different sort of piecemeal ways that this industry meets demand for the middle market. Mm -hmm. You know, I I often talk with operators who candidly tell me how hard it is to, to get things more affordable for residents and how sort of you have to have multiple things line up. It seems a little easier maybe to do some of this in adult day where people are not, you know, obviously spending nights at your communities. So can you talk about how you see the adult daycare kind of segment helping meet demand for the middle market? So I am originally from Miami and Miami has a lot of adult daycare. So if you go and and research the adult daycare market in Miami, you will see it is everywhere. And I think that it's been partially because culturally it is acceptable. There are groups out there that are never going to accept that mom goes into an assisted living, no matter how affordable it is. So Miami has figured that out because of the very diverse market that is there. And then they figured out that adult daycare does offer an affordable option. So affordability comes because one, Medicaid will pay for it, or two, you can pick the days that you come. So based on your budget, if you can only come Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're only coming Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you can work it within your budget. So I do believe that adult daycare is going to be a huge part of that affordable option, that middle market option that our industry is going to have to get really comfortable with and incorporate either as single purpose adult daycares or standalone adult daycares. We right now incorporate them within our assisted living as a way to take advantage of what we already offer in our assisted living. Adult daycare offers a meal. It offers socialization. It offers supervision. So very similar to what we're already doing on the assisted living side. But I think that our industry is going to have to get comfortable with the adult daycare. And I don't understand why they're not already. Yeah, I actually, want to, I want to ask you one more follow-up on this, and then I want to move on to some other topics. <laughs> but I will sometimes hear from operators who will say, you heard me refer to it as adult day. And I've mm-hmm. heard operators sometimes say, we're, we, we're a little iffy on calling it adult daycare because we don't want to you know, infantilize our residents and things like that. I understand, though, that there's only so many things that you can call services in the industry. You know, I think we've had some of the same conversations about independent living and active adult. Mm-hmm. So, do, but do you think that there's a another way to say this? Or, I, you know, I guess you you call it adult daycare. So, tell us uh, what, what would call you call it? What I it is. I yeah, mean, it yeah. is what it is right now. Do I believe that it needs to be rebranded? Yes. And we will be looking to rebrand it, call it something else. But for right now, 
because it's not so popular, we have to call it what it is so people can actually find it and find it within our properties. So that's really why we just call it what it is so people can actually find us and participate in our program. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So we, we've talked a little bit about growth. You'd mentioned some acquisitions earlier in our call. I think you had, you'd said that you had two kind of in the works. So can you talk about when you're looking for acquisitions, both in those deals and then outside of them, what are the sort of communities that you're looking to buy and, and why are you looking to buy those kinds of communities? So we're looking to grow fairly quickly. So I think acquisition, first of all, is the quickest way to build a portfolio. What we're essentially looking for are older properties and things that we can reposition. My experience having, you know, converted a lot of different types of buildings from public housing. I've, I did a trailer park conversion once. I've converted hotels, multifamily into assisted living. I don't really see barriers in terms of service delivery. You can deliver services anywhere you really want to. So in terms of our growth, what we see is an opportunity, unfortunately, due to COVID and some of the distress that it had or some of the stress that it has provided to properties and operators is a way to take over these older properties, refresh them, and then offer them to a new demographic of population that hasn't been served in those those particular markets. So it's not a difficult equation, but we see it as a, a great opportunity to at least take advantage of what we've learned in terms of the affordable model, which always attracted the middle income senior. And typically we would find our buildings were 50-50, 50-50 low income, 50-50 middle income, one subsidized, one paving privately, but both populations really liking what we brought to the market. So it's a simple model. It's like a courtyard Marriott. We are not a Ritz-Carlton. We're serving, you know, meat and potatoes, arroz con frijoles, if we're serving a Latino population, giving them what they want in terms of the food, nothing fancy, but real focus on service and partnerships, most importantly, because those partnerships are what help us keep the affordability what it is, but make a program that is very robust for that population. That makes sense to me. And I think, you know me, I, I appreciate simplicity. So that, I think that, that strikes a chord. <laughs> I think we, uh, yeah, complicate <laughs> things sometimes too much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I know I do. So, you know, as you're looking for these deals, I remember a couple of years ago when the pandemic started, there was a lot of chatter about whether there would be distress and whether that would lead to some good, you know, deals on the market. I think a couple of years in, you know, I've, I've sort of heard it's a mixed bag out there, but I've, I have heard that there are still opportunities for these kinds of communities. What are you seeing on the market? Are you seeing, a, you know, do you feel like you have enough to, to subsist on in, in terms of your strategy? Uh, do you see a lot of communities maybe that you wouldn't consider buying? I guess just tell us more about what you're, what you're seeing out there as you're looking for communities. I think we're seeing right now, we're seeing enough and we're seeing properties that are obviously affected by lack of census which in our minds, we see as an opportunity to just serve a new market. So if they were unable to fill it with this population of people, we're going to look to serve this population of people. And we can go kind of up and down from a low-income senior that's subsidized to a middle-income senior that can pay privately. So right now we're looking at these 20, 30-year-old buildings anywhere between 40 units to you know upwards of uh you know, 100 beds. 
and uh, able to, you know, do semi-private accommodations, private accommodations based on the demographic that we're serving. So we can kind of flip around in any one of those types of opportunities. We also look at one, we've converted one bedrooms as an example, where we have individuals sharing a bedroom and then they have a living room to share. So just looking at ways, I mean, I think at the at the end of the day, what's important is that the senior needs care. And if we can uh, provide them with something that is attractive to them, they will come and uh, we'll be able to serve them. So, uh, you know, obviously you explained why you would undertake acquisitions right now. What about new development? I've heard that's a little bit harder to do these days, although I've talked with plenty who are doing it. So are you doing any of that? Would you do it? And why or why not? I think right now we're going to be targeting the acquisition so we can really get some traction with our portfolio. We have developed a, um, a prototype already. So we have a prototype that we think could work. The problem is with the high cost of construction, supply chain, we all know these, you know, these uh, issues that we have today making construction so expensive. It isn't necessarily something that we will entertain today as it relates to potentially assisted living we will potentially be looking at it maybe as independent living development with this service enrichment component coming from outside through home health and partnering with doctors and so forth. So that's what we're, that's where we're at right now. I want to talk with you about partnerships as well. I I remember when we had talked, I think about a year ago, you'd sort of teased that you were working with, I think it was a multifamily developer and maybe exploring some modular construction, which seems like one way to maybe get development costs down if you can make that work. Did that ever pan out? And then just sort of as a tack on, you know, can you tell us more about how you view partnerships and and what sort of partnerships you look for, you know, in addition to to sort of that. that Sure. Unfortunately, the modular did not work out and it didn't, it just didn't go very far. It wasn't uh, anything more than that. And then in terms of, I'm sorry, what was your other question? The other one was just, I just am curious about your general thinking about partnerships and what sorts of companies you are looking to partner with in addition to, you know, maybe a multifamily company, although you said that that didn't, that didn't pan out. Well, in this case, no, but you know, I um, would love to partner with affordable housing, affordable housing developers, multifamily individuals within my industry that are interested in doing uh, more middle market. I have the expertise from the affordable side to be able to bring that to bear. It is a different operating model. I have always said I can't operate a luxurious property. It's just very different to what I, I am typically offering in terms of this very basic standard product. So in terms of partnerships on acquisitions, I mean, we're always looking for equity partners. Debt obviously is, is available to us. But I think in terms of additional partnerships, we are going to be looking at the Medicare Advantage plan more closely and how to partner with that. Because just as I've seen kind of Medicaid and being able to help low-income seniors using that as a subsidy for assisted living, Medicare is a perfect option for that middle-income senior. Now, it's not necessarily paying for a middle-income senior like Medicaid right does right now, and I'm talking about Medicare, but I'm hopeful that uh, one day it will start to look a little bit more like the Medicare Medicaid program, and we can use it for services in assisted living. Right now, it's more of an insurance product that we would partner with, and we're definitely going to be looking to do that more, more robustly in the future. Great. Well, I, I will be following along. That's, that's always interesting <laughs> to hear about. Another thing that you and I had talked about last year was I know that you had said that you, you had moved away from third-party management 
I remember you had said that it was difficulties with COVID and not having enough control, which which obviously I, I, I have heard other operators talk about as well. You know, are you still staying away from third-party management? And, and I guess, can, can you tell us more about why you feel like it's important to be that owner-operator? So I guess what we found with COVID is when the owner became unstable, then our management com- contracts become unstable. And the buying and the selling obviously disrupts our operating business uh, quite a bit or a management company. So I've always been a third-party management company, and I'm always interested in partnering with, with others as a management company. What's important for me, obviously, is longevity. And so if there's an ability to build in that longevity and allow us to operate without uh, interference, you know, and those sorts of things, we're, we're happy to do that. And we're certainly looking for partners with us as a third party management company. But what I've seen, you know, in terms of models that work in our industry is really the owner and the operator being one and the same. And even when you go for financing, I mean, it just the banks want to see that as well. So I think that uh, it's just something that we're going to replicate and it feels great to own and operate these properties. And I like to try different things. And as an owner operator, I can test different things out with having, without having to report into somebody. So I think that that is certainly something we're going to continue. And as those individuals come up or those companies come up that need third-party management, we will absolutely look at that as an opportunity, especially if there's some creative thinking around maybe a new model that we want to partner with. So we're definitely going to keep that door open. Speaking of trying new things at once, um, I know that you're you're big on technology um, and how it can be applied in senior living operations. Obviously, the challenge is there's so many cool, interesting things you can use and not enough time uh, to use all of them. So what is your thinking on technology these days, piloting it, budgeting for it, and I guess, have you seen anything out there in the past, you know, six months or so that you're really excited about that you'd want to share or tout on this podcast? Right now, because we're taking over these kind of older properties that have nothing in terms of technology, some of what we're incorporating, electronic health records, you know, things of that nature are things that we're focused on. So we're not looking to incorporate some of these wow technologies because we're just at a ground level with a lot of them. I'm still open. I want to incorporate telemedicine. Uh, I want to incorporate technologies that allow us to have more efficiencies in our workflow. Have I seen anything that has really wowed me? Not quite yet, but I have my finger on the pulse. I'm always reading about it, attending conferences, but I think a lot of what's uh, available right now has some development to do, but we will be incorporating things as we see fit. But right now we're just trying to get, you know, these basic uh, technologies incorporated into the buildings that we're going to be owning and operating. I want to take the last little bit of our conversation today to talk about the future. So a question I actually wanted to ask you earlier um, that I had skipped, so I'll ask you now. Right now, I've talked to a lot of different companies that are trying to meet the middle market. As you had said, it's a huge opportunity. I think that's no secret. but I have wondered how quickly the industry needs to evolve to meet this demand. I mean, you know, I think uh, I was listening to an earnings call today and it was mentioned, you know, the the baby boomers now finally, I think a, a million of them every, I don't remember what the stat was, but so many people are aging into this age and income qualified group and many of them are, are middle income. And I think with COVID, maybe more of them than we previously thought would be are in that category. So as you look across the industry do you feel like there's enough evolution happening fast enough in order to meet this demand? Or 
Yeah. So you shook yeah, your head. So tell, tell us why not. Unfortunately not. And unfortunately, I think we're going to be crushed by it in terms of, you know, just what we have today and what it's going to grow to. It's actually an opportunity of a lifetime that I don't know if our industry is going to be able to fully take advantage of. We haven't gotten that motor humming quickly enough, but I'd like to be surprised um, and see what happens. But right now, I think that, no, we're not we're not making enough of an impact to to really take advantage of this population. I think that a lot of them are going to ultimately want to age at home. And I think that that is a function of not having options in our industry. I think as an industry, many times we say, well, why don't we have more penetration? And I always say, because we don't serve the largest demographic. Um, and a lot of them are at home struggling because they don't see a place in our industry. So I think that once we start preparing or offering things that this market will find attractive, they will move in because they need us, I think, a lot more than we need them. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, it's hard to predict the future, especially now, given COVID and all of the uncertainties we have. But I've, I've heard a lot of optimism in the past few weeks about, you know, the rest of this year. So what are what are you preparing for in terms of the next, you know, six to 12, maybe even 18 months in terms of where you think things will trend, you know, where demand will be. Of course, no one can predict COVID, but what, you know, do you have any thoughts on how that might evolve too? COVID's going to end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Tomorrow. It's over, right? Uh, well, I think as an industry, like I mentioned before, we are battle tested. It feels good to be in this seat today saying, wow, we have come a long way and we have learned and we're going to be able to deal with whatever COVID has to offer in the future. Now, when a COVID case comes up, it's not a complete meltdown. It's okay, let's deal with it and move forward. So as far as COVID's con uh, concerned, we've learned to live with it. And I don't think that it's going to affect us as it has in the past. I think it's going to continue for us to offer opportunities to purchase properties that maybe a single mom and pop or a single operator just it's gotten too difficult for them to operate. And it's going to allow for more consolidation, at, at least in Florida, of a very fragmented market. So I see an enormous opportunity for us to get out there, to purchase, to build and eventually put together a portfolio of properties that were all potentially divided that we're going to be able to bring together and uh, and eventually exit to, to sell to someone that wants to operate it going forward. So I think the future is very bright. We're very excited um, and looking forward to acquiring uh, more and more communities and growing as as a company. All right. So last, last question for you. This is a question I, I like to ask because it gets <laughs> typically interesting answers. If you could wave a magic wand and change anything about the senior living industry that you wanted, what would you change and why would you change it? Well, I think based on my experience, I would love us, I, I guess I would love middle market to be commonplace. That's what I would really love. I remember back my very first Nick conference when I think it was in 2016 and I talked about what I was doing and people in the industry really didn't understand like why I was serving this population. And I was kind of taken aback. I was like, well, why are you serving your population? I mean, we're a country that is built on the back of the middle income individual, right? And so the fact that we as an industry have largely neglected this population is something we really need to work on. So I think my wand would be that tomorrow we are serving in greater numbers, working class, middle class individuals, because I think that's the right thing to do. 
is in terms of another wand, I would love if we could resolve our immigration issues to solve our staffing problems right now. But uh, but that would be, I think that right now would really take a wand to fix. <laughs> yes, yes. Given, given the tenuous situation in Washington, D.C., absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, Pilar Carvajal, thank you for coming on Transform. I always love talking with you. So thanks for thanks thank for chatting. I know we could chat for another half hour, but indeed. Thanks, thank Pilar. you. Take care. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.